Hello and welcome to another episode of the Knife Life Podcast. My name is Eugene Kwan, and you can find me on Instagram and on YouTube under that name. Hi, uh, I'm Frank. I go by Dr. Frankie. You can find me on YouTube, uh, also on Instagram, and you can email me if you have any questions at drfrankie at gmail.com. And this is Mike. I go by Bloom and Blade on Instagram. And this is Charlie. I go by Accidentally Knives. Um, Accidentally, not accidentally. <laughs> I feel like we have to spell that out each time, like literally spell it out because it is misspelled. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got some exciting material to talk about today, and it is actually materials. Materials that we like to have our knives made in, uh, materials we like to uh, think about uh, putting on custom knives and, and even on productions, you know, materials on every level of the spectrum. Uh, because, you know, if we are just honest with ourselves, it's true in the immortal words of Madonna that we are living in a material world and we are all just material girls. And so I'd like to kick the discussion over to uh, our resident material girl, uh, who's not a girl <laughs> at all, but actually a, a guy and, a, and, and quite a handsome one at that, I might say. Frank, uh, you want to tell us about some materials you got uh, in the pipeline for some exciting knives that you have on the way? Man, I don't know if you imagine me as a girl or if you think about me just being a handsome man all the time. But that was a nice introduction. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate it. The uh, the things that I get excited about, uh, maybe if you guys know anything about me, maybe you heard my previous podcast called The Knife Cast. Unfortunately, that, uh, that is no longer happening. That's uh, just a scheduling problem. Uh, and so now, moving forward, I'm uh, here with these guys in The Knife Life podcast and it's great uh, i had a we, yes. what i was talking about is that we had a an episode on the knife cast about materials where i talked a lot about it and i don't want to uh, go off on the same rambling talk that i had uh, that day but definitely want to add my uh my my thoughts and opinions into this conversation i think this is a different group of people that have some very good opinions and uh, and very good thoughts as well so moving ahead i have a knife coming in this week and i'm really excited about it uh actually you're going to see it on instagram probably tomorrow maybe probably tomorrow that's uh, a jason guthrie scout and uh, we wanted nice. to talk about materials so i have been sort of uh going crazy for materials for a while and it really took off when i went to blade show and i saw all the materials kind of in front of me but uh what happened at blade show is that i gave jason a piece of carbo quartz. Now, I had previously owned a Scout, the one that had the copper dust, copper shred carbon fiber. That, that was one of the nicest Scouts. It, yeah, it, that was it, already it is, pretty gorgeous. It was, it was a was perfect beautiful. Scout. But it gave me this idea because it was just like, this is clearly a platform to show off materials. Mm -hmm. And so carbo quartz was interesting for a time, and I picked up a block kind of when it was super hot, I know it's kind of, you know, having maybe up and downs, whatever. Uh, and then, but at Blade Show, Damasteel announced Damacore. And so, uh, obviously I was like, hey, Jason, <laughs> you should, you should put it in an order, man. I went and I actually picked up the order form and I put it in his hands and I was like, make this happen, man. <laughs> and so I have a, a Damacore blade 
carbon quartz show scale, and it's going to have a Mokutai frame. So this is just like a materials mashup, and it's just kind of an overdone, full-dress piece. Uh, and I think that it kind of serves as like an intro into this episode because, you know, that's sort of the highest end of knife materials or betrayals, as you might want to call it. Betrayals. Uh, <laughs> so I think we wanted to talk about sort of what each of us think about materials and then, you know, maybe what's cool to us, what's not so cool, and then kind of take it from there, right? Maybe? Yeah, sure. But actually, yeah. real quick. Uh, Frank, can you explain a little bit more about Damacore? I know that we could just go to the Damasteel website and, and look that up and Google it, but um, uh, I, I want to know a little bit more about it myself. So, yeah, could you explain what, what is the difference or what is unique about Damacore from, from the guys who make Damasteel? Well, be careful what you wish for, Eugene, because uh, okay. <laughs> just open Pandora's box. I'm a bit of another, open... an extra 30 minutes now. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. So, um... Okay, I'm buckled in. So one of the reasons that I'm into materials in knives and in general uh, is that I'm a chemistry major. I was in in, in college, and now I'm a doctor, and uh, I'm a surgeon, a neurosurgeon. And we use a lot of, like, very interesting things uh, in my line of work, and they're made, like, out of random, crazy, biologically compatible materials. And we use a lot of 6AL4V titanium. Uh, we put a whole lot of that in people's spines all the time. Uh, and so it's interesting to me to learn about the material science from a scientific point of view, but then see what that translates to in the knife world. And so back to your question about Damacore, Damacore is uh, similar to what a lot of people know as Sanmai steel, where there's a central core of a, a very good knife steel. Uh, so in the case of Damacore, they've taken it one step farther, further. Uh, so many of us are aware that there are steels, there are stainless steels, and then there are very stainless steels mm -hmm. uh, in the sense. And then there's this new wave of corrosion-resistant steels that incorporate nitrogen into the steel crystallography. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that reduces uh, corrosion uh, susceptibility. And so what this steel is, so they, not only is it a good knife steel, it is a proprietary nitrogen... Uh, infused uh, steel uh, called oh man it's it's escaping me right now it's called NC18 or some some they've made up a name for it mm -hmm. but uh, so that's the core and then clad on the outside are two different types of steels that have been sort of forged and, and pattern welded together uh, to create whatever their damasteel patterns are so they've taken their typical damasteel patterns and now they've used them as cladding. So oh the, the whole blade is made of just awesome stuff, and it's it's a definitely a science experiment. All of their steels are proprietary to them. They do their own powdered metallurgy processes, and, you know, a lot like Crucible and these guys do, but it's sort of a smaller operation, mm -hmm. these damn steel guys. So it's, it's interesting. So let me get this straight. This is actually like three different steels coming together in a layered fashion, but then... Like two of those steels are like kind of twisted, swirled together the way you typically see on damascus steel to create that that uh, aesthetic effect. Right. Um, so their their typical man, steel is crazy. Is mm -hmm. RWL thirty four and PMC twenty seven, mm -hmm. and then this one is eighteen C. What I don't know what it's called. It's got an N in it, and, and mm. well, I don't know what it's called. But uh, and eleven X. 
That's it. N11X. So they've got these these ridiculous uh, BMW names or Lexus <laughs> names for their steels. Uh, but yeah, it's very cool stuff to me. It's terrific looking. I was at the show with you, Frank, at Blade when they had uh, some of the demo knives over at the Damasteel uh, booth. Oh and, my gosh! And like they had uh, they had a bunch of stuff, but they they were just gorgeous. Just I got end, to end to end. I got to handle the all damn steel Stan Wilson non flipper flipper before it was locked in that case. Man. On Thursday, he was just walking around and had it. And I was like, yeah. This stuff is stunning. Crazy I'm, stuff. I'm glad that, th- that we started off with, with the steel here. I, I know that, um, I mean, there's a whole lot more we, uh, to talk about. And so I, I want to get to all of the other materials that that, you know, make up our handles and handle scales and stuff, because I'm sure that's where a lot of people are uh, have a lot of interest. But I'm, when I was thinking about uh, the kinds of materials I like on, on my knives, I mean, I go straight to the steel. That, that's actually probably the most interesting part of it to me, um, because actually kind of like you, uh, Frank, I, I, I definitely didn't go as far as you did into it, uh, but I actually did go into my undergrad with, uh, with an eye towards chemistry and biology. Um, and so the whole chemistry side of, of metallurgy and, and, and the different uh, kinds of chemical compositions of the different formulas of steel have always been really fascinating to me. Um, and so that's actually what kind of drove a lot of my early collecting because I was always trying to check out what like a, a new steel like felt like, if you know what I mean. You know, how it behaved, how it sharpened, how it was... Uh, used uh, or, or what were its strengths and use, you know, in, in one thing or another. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that at some point uh, when we talked about the different materials that we did talk about steels and and you mentioning that your scout is going to have Damacor is just really awesome and mind-blowing to me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that, especially when you get the final product, man. Man, yeah, you guys will know about it. You're going to know all my thoughts. You, obviously, I'm going to post the heck out of it and uh, – I'm really excited about it. I sold my Scout a long time ago, and I loved that knife, uh, and I'm ready to have another one, and the ultimate one. So thanks. I know. You're selling all these knives that I really identify as, like, quintessential Frunky knives. I, I well, like the Shiro I mean, Post today, the, Jace, the, the Guthrie, I was really surprised. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's painful, uh, and it's difficult for me because I overextend myself. I get so excited. I'm like a, <laughs> you know excited dog, you know. I just... I see a new knife and I go run at it and I buy it and I'm like, oh crap, I don't have any money. <laughs> you should probably put Damacor on it. Now I really don't have any money. <laughs> is it a lot so, more than uh, normal damage steel, Frank? Uh, it is significantly more expensive than even the regular damage steel, yes. Okay. Uh, now, now, remind us uh, what else you have going on on the handle for that knife. Uh, so, yeah, so the uh, the show scale is going to be Carbo Quartz. Mm. which, uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what carboquartz is. From all I can tell, it's yeah. unidirectional <laughs> carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. And so they're – but they say quartz, and they talk about quartz. And is there quartz in this, <laughs> or is it just quartz because it looks like quartz? I don't think there's quartz in it. I think it's just unidirectional carbon fiber, and now it's sort of a thing where, like, all of the other carbon fiber guys are like, "Hey, we can make this for fifteen dollars. What? Did you, why are they selling this for three hundred dollars?" And so, anyways, I got some when it was hot and uh, it was ridiculously expensive. But it's basically pricey. 
it's it's unidirectional carbon fiber. It's very beautiful. They do a good job. It's a very consistent thing. But uh, basically, it just it's carbon sheets, just thin mm. carbon sheets bonded together with uh, you know resin epoxy. So uh, you know, I really do like unidirectional carbon fiber. But uh, my problem with it is that it does seem like in like I'm looking at carbon cores right now. It looks like the layers of those those sheets are very thin and so you get a lot of like rippling and chatoyance you know when you're when you do that contouring to the material but like I remember I had a a custom knife factory piece duke for the longest time and and I had these unidirectional carbon fiber inlays in it Uh, but um, but I think the layers of the carbon fiber were so thick that you only kind of got that that shimmer um, in one large blotch or one one section of it. So it actually, I had a friend pick it up and look at it and say, like, "Oh, what's what's wrong with your carbon fiber? Did you scratch this up?" You know, <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, no, it's it's supposed to look like that." And I personally thought it was okay, but I definitely prefer the look of carbo quartz here um, as I'm looking at different pictures of it. Now, what what um, it usually has like a secondary coloration to it, right? Like some. Like what color did you get? Some of them do. I just got the all black one. I think that one looks the nicest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, white ones that have some black in it. They have some red stuff now that I think looks honestly terrible all the time. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's a it's a material. And so you know, maybe I can transition the conversation from you know specific materials to like hype around mm. some of these materials because yeah. like. Like I said, carbocorts like was uh, all the rage because suddenly there's this new material, no one has anything like it, and now everyone is making it for a fraction of the cost. Uh, is the red carbon is the red carbocorts interesting to any of you guys? I, I don't know. No. Let's be real. Be honest about Charlie. I think I think out of the three, I honestly like the black the most. Yeah. Uh, though it does just kind of look like marble carbon fiber. Yeah. Even if you're really close, it still kind of looks like marble carbon fiber. You go and touch it, and maybe it feels not like Marvin, but it kind of still does, right? Yeah. I mean, it ultimately, you know, it is basically steel for carbon fiber. Um, I've always yeah. thought, you know, the the red and the white one, they kind of look like G10 from far away, just like layer G10. Um, that yeah. was like my initial impression of it yeah. when I guess I had it up close um, at the shows or whatever. Um, I was slightly more impressed, but nowhere near as impressed to kind of like pay for, you know, whatever people makers charge for them. Um, but what it comes down to, and this is something I guess uh, I've noticed, is a material is only cool because you've never seen it before, right? The same thing for kind of knife designs or uh, sprint runs. Like the whole reason it's kind of cool is just, wow, I've never seen this before. I that that's kind of my impression anyway. Um, so when you have this like this new materials, new um, design, milling pattern, and something like that, you have I think you, your brain gets tricked into thinking that this is just um, this new like high end thing because you've never seen it before, right? It's the same thing for like you know you go out and you see cars. Like why are supercars kind of supercars? Is because you don't see them. You know things that you don't see is that that's kind of what makes like a material special to me anyway. So, you know, the first carbo quartz knife was probably really cool. I remember seeing it, and I was like, whoa, what is that? That's kind of like white carbon fiber, but it's not just white inlays. Um, yeah. 
So when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then kind of as they trickled in, especially the white ones, for whatever reason, the white ones are kind of the, the most popular. Um, so that's kind of your quintessential like carbo quartz look. Dude, and uh, I, can I just interject and say that I really don't understand why everyone wants a dirty looking knife? I, I just it just looks dirty to me. It always I, looks I, weird. I, and dirty. I think so. Uh, the the black one is subtle, and it, you know mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you have the, the sense of I have quality material that's more expensive than carbon fiber. But the white one just kind of just says, "Hey, I spent money on it, and here you go. This is what I spent money on." And there's mm. there's no mistaking it, right? It's like a signature look almost. Um, and again, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing because I think what you want and what you spend money for and the reason why you spend all this money is to try and get something that other people don't have. So when when kind of every maker or like every build starts incorporating this and like it's on Chris Reeve knives now, mm-hmm. I think it kind of devalues uh, the perception of, you know, what kind of mm value or what kind of uh you know how, how yeah you what the cachet or the status or the yeah it's the kind of not, je ne sais quoi of the knife yeah yeah it's just not as special i think in, in sure. that sense um, yeah so. mike you had a pretty instant reaction to to frank's question too yeah what is it about cardboard quartz that you like or don't like or or do you have like a broader view of, of some, some some materials in general i think i think frank brought up this interesting question about yeah, fad materials and Charlie's presenting this this kind of uh, um, perspective. I think that's very helpful to think about materials as uh, bringing something unique and, and different to the table. And but once it ceases to do that, it, it kind of loses its value. But yeah, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? I don't have many thoughts about carbocores besides agreeing with Frank that I don't really see a reason to have the red. Uh, mm. It's just I, I don't like it. Besides that. I'd agree with what Charlie was saying, but I think that there are certain materials that I don't tire of. Like, I really don't tire of Mokume, and I mm. think part of the reason is because of the way it patinas, um, which can be mm. a pretty dramatic change. Can I re- re- reply to that real quick? Yeah. So um, I think a big part of reason, uh, a big reason why materials like Mokume and Damasteel and stuff like that have staying power is the fact that they have this organic look to them, right? When you have mm-hmm. G10 or something like that, G10 looks like G10 everywhere. Carbon fiber kind of looks like carbon fiber everywhere, right? You can definitely get like shred or something and it looks different, but you know, you end up with what what it comes down to I think is um a material that can easily be reproduced to kind of look the similar uh, look the same way. Um I think th- those are the stuff you get you kind of tire of. I think yeah, Mokume just looks yeah, different. I would. I think you're right. I I agree with you on that. Um, and on top of that, the, when you add with Mokume the way it can patina, and I really think. change dramatically, I think that just adds another level to that. But I I, I think you're right. Yeah. So like materials like Timascus or whatever, where you have tons of different patterns. Every time, like to be honest, I'm pretty sick of Timascus. But every time they come out with, with like a new pattern, I like it. Right, when, uh, they have like the racing stripe one. I think that's really cool. I've never seen that before. And the thing is, you know, eventually you kind of grow tired of it af- after like you- you've seen it X amount of times. I think w- with the same like coloration, you know, people kind of do the same like blues, purples, oranges, or whatever. Um, it just what I-, I think it's just how often you see something that that's just how you know you get tired of something. 
You know, so, Harbor Quartz is a material that honestly kind of looks the same. Mm. That's why I don't think it's it's a material that's going to age really well. Um, I think there are people that are going to like it, and I think people the the white and black color scheme might fit with certain knives, but I think people yeah. get tired of it. I think it's going to go um, away. I think yeah. It's, 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 also too, it's, it's expensive enough that it's tough. Yeah. I think one thing that lately, Eugene, from what you, you asked a second ago, Mm-hmm. Um, I think now I'm at a point where I kind of learned moderation through excess with a lot of materials. Mm. So I think a lot of people take a similar, have a similar kind of arc through it. Like at first you're like, oh, that looks gaudy. That looks like shit. And then it's, oh, it's not bad. Maybe damn steel blade would be cool. And then all of a sudden you have it everywhere. Um, <laughs> and then that's the point I got to when I bought the, um, and like a full dress A6 mini where it was just Damasteel and Timascus everywhere. And then that was sort of the last one. And then I kind of like got a hangover from it and kind of like pulled back a little bit. <laughs> so I feel like I, I'm at a point where I'm kind of pulling back from just having, you know, having to have exotic stuff so. everywhere. I think I just I think hit that good. point with this scout build. I think I hit that point. Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of, it's not necessary at all, mm. always. Sometimes well, you know it's what? Nice that's a good point. You don't have to. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. And the other thing about it, you know, really off the back of that was that I think it's a useful path to go down as you, you know, get into different types of knives and different materials. And it's fun. You get to have crazy looking stuff in hand, you know, without much penalty. You could always sell it or whatever. But I think that if you're paying attention as you progress through that arc, mm-hmm. it helps you develop an enhanced appreciation for more basic characteristics in a knife, like the ability to look at just like a beautifully made, you know, all just titanium frame lock that's just really expertly expertly made. Your Philippe Georget is a perfect example of that. Mm, Yes, 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 exactly. It doesn't need the boost of superior materials to make it look amazing because it in and of itself is just a fantastic piece. I, I think... You guys are really touching on something important here because I think that whole arc that Mike you're talking about of of kind of being kind of put off by it at first, but then being interesting interested in it, and then suddenly just diving deep and everything's mm-hmm. purple and, and and blue and and swirled with black and whites and everything. Um, I think it does speak to something of like the status um, or the oh, perceived definitely. value, right, of these unique materials, but then once you kind of get over that hump, you realize actually um, there's something bigger than just, you know, how much did the show scale cost you? You know, there's there's other considerations that I think really fit well, and, and I just sent you guys a, a link to a picture of a Begnai's Astio with these carbal quartz inlays in it. I'm not sure if you guys saw it yet, but, but I'm looking yeah. at this and thinking, okay, this is an example to me of a knife that does carbo, carbo quartz really well. And you can see how, you know, in the osteo, they have those like two inlays where there's a bridge of titanium in between them. Um, I don't, I don't know if they do this, try to do this on all of the ones that they use, like this kind of layered CF on. But, um, here in this particular one that I sent to you guys, you can see how, how they've used the same piece of carbo quartz across both inlays so that you know, the layered pattern actually continues um, across the, the titanium uh, um, uh, bridge in between the two inlays. You, you see what I mean? Yep. I mean, see, what this says to me is that these guys weren't just thinking, okay, like, we have a cool knife, let's put some really cool material on it, but they were kind of thinking that next level of, 
we have a cool knife, we have cool material, how can we leverage the material uh, in the best and most thoughtful way possible so that it enhances the overall design but doesn't shout over any other aspect of that design, you know? And I think that's what what I look for personally in, in higher end or, or uh, more expensive materials. Like, you know, I mean, I don't mean to brag on this, but I really love my my brown knife servo. It's already come up in a couple mm. of conversations we have. But the reason why I like it is because I think that the Timascus on it, um, which, you know, I'm not usually into, uh, but the Timascus on it, the accented uh, uh, over travel stop and a pocket clip and the backspacer, I, I think it enhances the overall color scheme, enhances the overall aesthetic of the knife, but it doesn't kind of shout over the other aspects of the knife. You know what I mean? So oh, I think yours is yours is one of the most balanced, best-looking servers I've seen. I really think that one looks terrific. Yeah, and I think that's the key for me. Like, I like nicer materials, but if it's out of balance, then um, then that's doing something a little bit different, you know. And there's certainly a time and a place for for knives that are um, that 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 kind of take balance and chuck it out the window. Like I'm just imagining. Um, like just to go back to it, Frank. I'm just imagining your scout, and that's gonna be amazing, no matter what. It's just gonna you're just gonna look at it and drool over it and love it, and we're all gonna be jealous of you when you start posting pictures on Instagram. Uh, but if every every knife was that way, then yeah, it'd be kind of like okay, that doesn't work for every knife. That doesn't work for every build, and it, yeah. It, it, yeah, no, definitely. I think I think there's a, another uh, topic we could get into here where people use fancy materials to cover up crappy knives. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to expand on that thought? Yeah, I mean, you guys have been, we all went to Blade. I mean, how many people, how many knives did you handle walking around that are made of, like, Mokutai, Zerkutai, you name it, and it's actually just a giant pile of garbage. Mm -hmm. I I just, Mm -hmm. and you see them on, on, (laughs) you see them on Instagram every day. You see these knives. And, you know, I hesitate to name names sometimes because I don't want to draw negative attention from anybody. But there are certainly, like, some people that I think everyone looks at and they're like, who the fuck is buying this stuff? Like, I don't mm-hmm. – who's and who's buying it in Mokutai and, you know, Damasteel? So uh, but uh, fancy materials do not make a knife. I think you have to have a good knife uh, at baseline for the fancy materials to make it nice. Yeah, that's. that's I mean, you could see it. That's the tricky side from both. That's the tricky aspect of it of fancy materials from really from a maker or a or a collector or you know a buyer because you kind of you feel like you're like sneaking into the VIP or something with it. Like you can you know put Mm -hmm. that on, especially you know since you know a lot of a lot of them end up on Instagram immediately and. It's you know you immediately know that oh this knife has this fancy material on it whereas mm-hmm. like you know from these pictures you can't you know you don't see you know laser tight tolerances or some perfect mm-hmm. lip or a great detent in action so you kind of can cheat your way into like high end by you know having a bunch of Timascus. So yeah. I'm I'm actually uh, before I would say I'm totally on board with this train of thought but if you kind of really think about it. Um, I think there's two sides to it, right? Um, on on the on the other side, you kind of have this argument wherein, okay, so if I'm not, you know, I don't really know how to use Titanmascus, how would I get better if I don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of build knives 
with Timascus. Um, and maybe in the beginning, like the colors are washed out or whatever. Um, I think you still have to build these things, right? Otherwise, you're never going to really get better. Same thing for like Damasteel. Like, how can you ever get into Damasteel if, if you're not allowed to do it until you kind of perfect it? Well, where does that process happen, right? Does it just happen behind the scenes and then you just throw away everything? Um, like, I think the expenses for that are like not reasonable, right? But at the same time, I think you definitely need to be, need to know how to make a knife, right? Before you get into these materials, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Charlie, definitely, I think you're bringing up a good point that there needs to be some room for a learning curve. Like, you got to be able to cut a maker some slack for, like, practicing their craft and really maximizing a particular material. But I do think that in your second point, I feel like that's kind of what Mike is really getting at. And I would definitely agree with both of you on this that, um, I think we all would agree that if your knife has fundamental issues that have to do with just the design of the knife or your inability or inattention uh, to, to execute on a high level of detail, then just bumping up the quality of your materials doesn't, doesn't necessarily improve it, right? You know, I mean, I, I remember thinking, and yeah, there was, this was again at Blade Show, you know, we're kind of all referring to our, our, our trip around the block because it's just such a great opportunity to experience so many different makers and materials all at once. But I remember visiting a one particular maker whose designs I, I thought were visually or aesthetically interesting, interesting enough for me to start talking to him about maybe getting on his books and seeing what, what was what and how much everything would cost and all that. Uh, but then when I handled his work at Blade Show, I mean, we're talking about like insane amounts of lockstick to the point that I couldn't close the knife. It was a flipper knife with a liner lock. I couldn't un disengage the lock with both hands. And I'm trying to have a conversation with this maker about his knives, but you know, fumbling around with, with this knife in front of him because I it literally, I couldn't close it. I couldn't close it because the tolerances were so bad. The lockstick was so terrible, you know? And then of course, even, ergonomically, you know, the handle was maybe about literally about four or five times thicker than the blade stock. And, and, and so you, it felt like you're holding a baseball bat, but, but had a very thin blade to it. You know, it was a, it was just a design that didn't seem to work ergonomically or even in, in terms of its execution. And at that point, you know, he's telling me this list of different materials I can have the handle made in and different kinds of steels he's working with. And I'm just thinking, I think you've got to, crawl before you can walk, you know, you got to walk before you can run. Um, and, and so I kind of backed out of, of any decision to buy, buy the stuff just because I felt like, okay, maybe in a couple of years I'll swing by again, you know, their website, see what they're up to. But if you have fundamental issues with your knives, you got to work on those maybe, maybe in parallel with experimenting with different materials, but, but you still got to, you know, work on your fundamentals, I think. Mm -hmm. So who let's, let me ask you guys, who do you guys think utilizes materials the best? Uh, let's talk about custom makers. Mm. Yes, this gives me a chance to I mention somebody give, uh... I like to mention in every single podcast. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, Mike, go ahead. <laughs> no, Charlie, sorry, I cut you off there. What were you saying, bud? Yeah, um, I, I want to just have another kind of counterexample to, to kind of what we said before is I, I do think you, you also have to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to I think every once in a while, you know, even if you're a maker starting to learn, um, you can make, maybe your knives aren't that good. I do think you do get a hall pass um, every once in a while just because it probably gets boring doing, you know, what you do, right? 
practicing is not fun. That's true. So, I mean, this is just kind of coming from like an engineering background. It's kind of shitty to do grunt work all the time. Every once in a while, you just want to get out there and build something, right? So I do think you you should be allowed to have a hall pass for these things, um, even if you're kind of if your work isn't up to you know what it should be for per se. Um, but you know, it's more of the exception rather than the norm. Like if you're only building full dress stuff and you know it's not that good, then obviously that, I'm not kind of protecting or defending you but if every once in a while you do one i don't see why not right people get bored creating the same things over and over again that's true that's true and i like buying i, I like finding stuff sort of during that learning curve in fact there's a few knives charlie of mine that you've had we don't have to mention any makers makers that i really like but you know we're clearly yeah. sort of in a learning phase but they yeah i mean dressed up yeah. some stuff and it's stuff that i love um so I, I think that's a really good point yeah, it's, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, like respecting the craft and the art and like the amount of effort it goes into, um, you know, improving this whole thing. Like I'm as I'm as negative as they come, but I think you have to <laughs> kind of cut people slack for, I think, what what is ultimately a pretty difficult thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's you have true. to that's you have to have some point. understanding mm-hmm. that uh, some minor imperfections can be allowed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. OK, so. Other topic, right? Make yeah. that use the material as well. Okay. Yeah, Mike. Mike, you Mike you seemed excited. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I to but yeah, everybody knows what I'm going to say. Black snow. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah, think he, uh, he 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 really does that. Now, um, now let me is he, yes. Let me let me springboard on this and say that one of the reasons that Nadia Moore is so good and making beautiful knives and utilizing materials well is his background, right? He was a jeweler, if True. I'm not mistaken. Yep. You're, you're, you're right. Yeah. You know who else was a jeweler was Sergei Rogovitz. He also did that. And he, he has, I don't know if you, you guys have probably handled some of his knives. They're very weird, but they are exceptionally well-made. Mm. So is that kind of really fine detail work. In that it, no, I've never, I've never felt one of his, but now it's not, you know, it's not to quite the same, level but it's it's not bad uh but the, the way that he finishes all of his pieces even though they look weird and you know most of them are not appealing to a lot of people uh i think that he he does a great job of it and i think it's because he, they're jewelers they're probably looking at these things under right. loops mm-hmm. you know under high magnification being like okay here's a hairline scratch we're gonna have to go back to the to the polishing here it's interesting and you know what eugene i go ahead uh, yeah um, sorry, but to your, you know, what you were saying, I think that it's funny that this is coming up now because it was only a combination of two things that finally got me over a strong dislike of a certain material. And it was one knife from Nadi, and then it was Tzvi's, uh CMF. Um, and they, those two, after seeing those two, I finally overcame my hatred of Mother of Pearl. <laughs> and it was just after seeing it in two knives where uh-huh. it just looked absolutely beautiful um i really never liked that material but in the hands of a couple of experts or you know people who really knew what they were doing mm, i yeah. i really liked it a lot yeah i think that's a great example of a material that if you don't really know like what you're doing at a high level then there is very little uh margin for error let's say um or or i mean there's certain things you should or shouldn't do with it and, and i guess what one thing i'm thinking about is i don't mean to, to push this too negative because the question was you know who does it well but 
you know, Benchmade recently um, announced another gold class where they're putting these. Uh, I forget which which model it was, but um, I think it might have been a torrent or something like that. But it was one of their old standbys. I think that they recently discontinued, and they announced um, a gold class version of it where they're going to put on these big mother of pearl inlays onto the handle. But when you look at the pictures of it, I mean, mother of pearl is already pretty interesting, but they just take these black screws, these black Torx heads, and just drive them right through the middle of the inlay. So, you know, to affix it to the handle slab. And I'm just thinking, like, is that really the best way to to deal with this material? You know, it interrupts the, the visual aspect of it. It looks terrible, you know, just to have this sea of mother of pearl and then all of a sudden this this black Torx head just drilled right into the middle of it. I mean, that it just looks ridiculous. Uh, but stuff like that, what that tells me is, okay, we have a knife design. We want to make it special by just pumping in uh, high-quality materials, you know. But it doesn't really say... I'm taking like a jeweler's approach to this, or I'm taking like a, a real um, kind of art, artisanal or skill-driven approach to to putting this in, you know. Um, and it, it is interesting that I actually not just uh, the two guys that, that have been mentioned so far, but also um, Michael Ziva was a was a, a jeweler before uh, he got into knives. And uh, you know, whatever we think about their knife designs and things like that, uh, the reality is they, they know how to manipulate these high-cost materials because they're probably their clientele probably has a lot fewer calluses on their fingers probably uh, <laughs> uh, you know uh, are a little bit more sensitive to some of these things um, and they're able to bring all that expertise over I think that's pretty cool but yeah uh, what other makers do you guys think of uh, when you think of like people who do and execute materials really well well I, I don't have a maker but mm -hmm. um, Someone I'm like neutral to, not not someone, but Chris Reeve knives, right? They they mm -hmm. do inlays, they do sprint inlays, they do mm -hmm. uh, sprint like Damas Damascus patterns, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously they they just do the carbo quartz. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I mean, I I think it's really neat what they do with uh, certain materials, right? Because a lot of what they use is organic. Um, mm. So you have woods, you have I think the the most collectible right now are the mammoth barks. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of goes back to, you know, it, something I mentioned earlier, which is a material is special and you won't get tired of it if it's got an element of randomness, right? If, if, mm -hmm. if no two are alike, then you can kind of search for one that's more figured. Um, so this, whether th this could be something like, um, mammoth bark versus mammoth ivory you mm -hmm. typically i think while they were for sale they were the same price but i think a figured uh bark is really expensive whereas ivory kind of stays the same i'm talking about the secondary market obviously but mm -hmm. uh, so this kind of also goes to show that like people do share these preferences for you know that's true i think that's yeah. organic and you can't reproduce it you can't just be like hey I want a mammoth bark, uh, you know, Nandi or something, and it just looks the same. It's not going to look the same, right? It's not the mm -hmm. same mammoth, right? Or it's not That's the right. same tooth. It could be the same tooth. It could still look different, right? It's so, funny because that gets back to <laughs> to something that, that um, you were saying. Sorry to interrupt, uh, but, Frank, you were saying this before that, you know, why would you want um, a, a knife that looks like it's got, like, that looks dirty? But that's, that's how I think about, like, mammoth because, you know, 
whether it's cross-sectional or, you know, where it's mammoth bark or whatnot, but like you're, you're looking at like these old bones, basically, right? These fossilized yeah. bones, um, which doesn't do anything aesthetically for me, but I really hear what you're saying, um, uh, Charlie, because for some people, like that, just the rarity, the uniqueness, and the fact that this is a an extinct animal that you can no longer get, and yeah, it just yeah. happens to have the right figuring for me and my aesthetic, like right. that's really that's special. Yeah, I think you know if if, if you're not if, if you have the wrong piece of mammoth bark, it just kind of looks like brown ivory. Um, <laughs> but yeah. you know you get you can get colors you can get greens in there if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can get some crazy stuff in there. And I think well, it's, you know, it's, I think we can we can talk about how certain materials are only appealing to certain people. To mm-hmm. be perfectly honest with you, I I don't get the whole mammoth thing, the <laughs> mammoth tooth, mammoth bark, because you know I understand it in in principle that it's a very rare material, but I don't particularly want teeth as my <laughs> as my scale material. I it I is like, a little creepy. I feel like to be honest, I like yeah. I like metal. I like carbon fiber. I get that. I like wood, but teeth and even tusk and stuff is like it doesn't appeal to me, and that's totally subjective. And some people, I mean, really love that. And so. Yeah. Teeth is kind of a shitty way of putting it, right? You could say pearl is shit then, right? Pearl is clam shit or oyster shit, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, right? it's true. And have... it's, so it's sim- it's similarly appealing to me for the same reasons. Yeah, it's, it's like when, when there's fucking, when there's like dust or something and then they like, they produce whatever um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is. I have no idea what it is. And, you know, it that's how a pearl becomes a pearl and, you know. Yeah, it's like that, calcium silicate or something like that. Just that as just strange, I guess. Yeah, but uh, you know where you. It's, it's, well, Frank, it's like, I'm with you. I don't really want it as a scale in my knife either. Mm. Okay, isn't wood just tree skin? <laughs> wow, right? That's, yeah. that's true. It's, it is. Okay, I, I mean the the point is I'm not really big on mammoth either. So, but you know, it, it's you do have a nice interesting. I, I have a nice tree. No, don't you have a? You have one of those. Uh, oh yeah, I had one back in the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had like a some caramel kind of one. I didn't even know there were so many fucking mammoths easily accessible until I got into knives. And the first time I saw it, I was like, no, that can't be real mammoth. And then you see it nonstop, and there's just so much of it. I no, mean, that's super ignorant. Seriously, no, I, I felt the same way, Mike. I mean, I I kept thinking like, oh wow. They must have maybe like less than or fewer than like 200 of these extant skeletons in the world. But when you look at how the numbers of knives that are being pumped out, especially if you get into collecting traditional slip joints, like yeah. I mean, the real high-end slip joints are, yeah, of course, you know, we we have Penas and and Acers and things like that who are who are making these really fantastic and super expensive slip joints. But a lot of time, and they're a lot of times they're using like modern materials, but um. You know, a lot of the higher end stuff, like custom slip joints, are, are made out of these biological materials that that are pretty much either extinct or under some kind of trade prohibition. You know, um, I, and I, I think it is like a different demographic. People who tend to carry traditional slip joints also tend to be, I think, more interested in like hunting or have some kind of heritage in that. That's that brings them closer to the earth, so to speak, you know, and so they, they like those organic things, but... I think yeah. there's, like, meteorite, too, for, like, meteorite, some of the yes. high-end, mm-hmm. Rexfords or whatever, you see, mm-hmm. like, meteorite, um, 
What else do you see? Probably there's probably like moon rock, mm. dinosaur bone maybe. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Unicorn right. horn. <laughs> Unicorn I mean, horn. That'd be pretty. Not, cool. I'm not huge on um, organic materials. I I do like my stuff man-made, but I like it man-made with like an element of randomness, right? Even the the um, what is it? The carbon plate. Um, the carbon plate, uh, carbon fiber, right? The, mm-hmm. the bronze dust one. I think yeah. I had like two of them from Shirogorov and one was just like way more figured than the other one. And it just kind of makes one a little bit more valuable than the other, I think. Side by side, like you would, it, it's almost like two different materials. I think stuff like that makes materials interesting and, uh, collectible in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to that point, um, I actually recently got on, and, and, and I want to give a sh- big shout out to African Custom Knives, uh, just because they were so helpful in, in uh, talking to them over Instagram. Uh, Mike, I was I was asking for your suggestions and your thoughts on a couple of different South African knife makers, and then you directed me to contact them, and I did. And yeah, they sent me action videos and did all this stuff. It was really great. Um, Those guys but, um, are great about that. Yeah, fantastic. And and I ended up buying uh, this Steam Camp, this Kosi Steam Camp uh, Majesty. Um, from them, and it's got these Zerk uh, bolsters on them with uh, lightning strike carbon fiber, and you know, zirconium is all over the place these days, and so it's not terribly like unique or anything like that, and lightning strike carbon fiber isn't the most expensive stuff out there either, it's just, you know, it's been around, it's a known quantity, but man, I it just with the way that Kosi went about contouring the, the handle scale, and Whenever you do that with lightning strike, you know, you get what you're talking about, Charlie, that, that little bit of randomness, um, a little bit of quote unquote figuring, um, if you can call it that. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I just really absolutely love it. I think it looks really great, very simple, but it has uh, kind of a uniqueness to it that makes me feel like if I saw another knife uh, made with exact same specs, it, I would be able to tell the two apart, you know. So, yeah, there is something like that. I'm with you on that where... Some element of randomness um, is, is definitely appreciated and, and makes the knife feel more like your own. Uh, but I do remember um, that can kind of that's kind of a double-edged thing because my first paramilitary two was uh, was one of the Digicam models um, with the Digicam G10, and I don't know the consistency of Digicam that they use is is really it has a lot of variance to it, and so you know like two scales on, on one knife could look like they come from two completely different knives, and that would just bug me to no end. I think I, it's a really dumb thing, and it, it's really a, a, a small thing to, to nitpick about, but man, like I think I ended up returning two or three um, paramilitary twos just because I didn't like the quote-unquote quote, figuring of the Digicam uh, pattern in the G10. You know, It just didn't match on both sides or just didn't look cool to me, so... Um, I think that that randomness, uh, yeah, it's it's great to chase after, but but can also lead to a lot of frustration. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How about uh, speaking of frustrations, what materials do you hate? <laughs> because I feel like some materials, like I mentioned, white carbocords, I see it all over the place, and every time I see it, I'm like, who who wants this on their knife? I think it looks terrible in most situations. Sometimes it looks okay. But to me, I feel like 99% of the time there could have been a better material used in that circumstance. Maybe white carbocourse is that one for me because I think it looks dirty. But 
What what materials do do you guys not really like? So I, I guess it's not a specific material, but um, I it's just clashing. I think Eugene mentioned something about like balance uh, in the beginning, but I think that that's kind of what I look for in general. I think as a rule of thumb, subjective obviously, but if you have a busy blade um, somewhere on your handle, it needs to be you know not as busy. And kind of vice versa. If you have a busy handle, your blade should be cleaner. And th- this this can be material. This could be design. This could be like bolsters or inlays or whatever. I just feel like you know too much of a good thing is almost always a bad thing. Mm. Uh, That's a good. And when it comes to you know, there, there's like different. I think materials have different loudnesses. If that makes sense. So like Timascus to me is very loud. You know, if you have Timascus and then Mokutai on like the same scale and then it, I, I think it always ends up looking like unicorn shit. And then I think Damasteel is like another... I think it depends on the pattern when it comes to Damasteel and Damascus, but certain patterns are extremely loud. Certain patterns are not so much, you know? Um, so it's just the knives that are, you know, uh, Timascus and then Damasteel and then probably Timascus some more somewhere... I got it you. does kind of uh, clash a little bit. Ron Best. Ron Best. Yeah. Anyone? Like, and then, and then you have Julie on top, and then you have like file work, <laughs> and then it's just, it's, it's yeah. just someone like went in and then like hit Control A and just like selected all the options and just printed <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Frank, for, I'm looking at these Ron Best. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, Ron Best. Specific material, and I think almost any material can look good in context. And yes, I would true. have added Mother of Pearl until just this week. I think the only material I really, I don't know what I have against it, is that snakeskin Juma stuff. I don't snake like Juma. Juma. I don't like Juma either. It's, it's like I dislike stuff, that right? a lot. To be I honest, don't I don't. I don't really like uh, the other acrylic type things. The the like. Uh, C-tech? What, what? Yeah, C-Tech, Yes, because it's plastic. Uh, there's other stuff. What is the Kiranite? Kiranite is mm. what it's called. No, I, I don't, I don't like stuff. these. Yeah. I don't hate it. I just don't really. What did you say, Charlie? I think Tyler loves that stuff, right? Yes, actually, that's where I first saw it was once yeah, on a, on a little rainbow knife, the snakeskin, like, white Juma. And it's a little rainbow design. It's oh, he, cool he when there's – I, I really, really hate that stuff. That's probably the only material that I really hate. <laughs> Yeah. Well, wow. speaking of speaking of Tyler, uh, I will give him credit that he introduced me to a material called Fordite. Yeah. Um, which is gaining a lot of traction. Maybe you guys have seen this. It's been a ton few, online. A few people have been putting it on knives. I saw a couple. Mm. I think who was it? Jared Ozer made some yes, slippies with it. Yeah. But I, I think that uh, that is a beautiful material if you get a good batch, and that that's a material mm. that I think keep your eye out for Fordite. Fordite yep. is. Uh, you know, for those of you not in the know, it's it takes uh, after it takes its name from the company Ford, like cars mm-hmm. Ford, because it's from uh, the big car factories when they paint these cars. Each car comes through and they paint it, and the paint trickles down, and it forms these layers, and it becomes almost like Damascus or Mokume or these kinds of things where it forms these beautiful the layers. Detroit and, Damascus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, D- mm-hmm. Detroit Damascus, and after uh, so many layers. You know, it becomes this thick piece of solid paint, and uh, you can actually form it into stuff, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's totally dynamic. Everyone is uh, yes, it, yeah. it's so different, everyone. 
Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's like different paints from these different cars. So you get these candy colors and these other yeah. things depending on where you've gotten your sample from. Yeah, that Jared Oser slip joint that he made with Fordite, it just looks so incredible because it's got that balance of all these different things. Again, I'm coming back to that, but like it's it's a traditional knife with a modern material, but then it has that figuring that kind of gives it an organic look, even though it's very um, synthetic, you know, it, it, and, and this stuff like it, it, it is pretty hard, right? I mean, it's we're talking about the paint that's used as the outer coating for, for cars, and so it's not like uh, some kind of mushy, cakey stuff that, that will just fall apart later, but you can actually, yeah, like you're saying, like form it, sand it, polish it to a high reflectivity. This stuff looks really, really good. I'd love to see like an Arius or something like that with this material. I think that would be kind of interesting. Um, probably something that, uh, that, that, what's his face? Uh, Bill will never get around to. <laughs> but, uh, I think that would be kind of cool. And Frank, you're right. It's been popping up a ton mm. just over the last, maybe, especially over the last month or two months. It's just, it's in my Instagram feed more and more. Yeah. Mm. And I, I feel bad. The reason I bring up Tyler is that Tyler, <laughs> he had this great plan to like start buying it all up and then selling it as the distributor and start a thing and then like he didn't do it and I I made, it, <laughs> I made a joke to him that it was like the Afro Man song I was gonna build a company around four day but then I got high <laughs> <laughs> oh man but it was uh, it's a cool material for sure mm, definitely yeah. um what else what do you make, so oh you you already said what you don't like uh. Frank. Oh yeah, yeah, Eugene. What do you? What do you? What material do you really dislike? What do you see out there? My question is really, what do you see out there a lot that that irks kind of you? Tired of or don't like it? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm, 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 hmm. I think that one thing. So, um, I I, I do feel a little bit like I've seen enough Timascus. I mean, I know I just said that I really like the Timascus on my servo, but you know, it's it's my servo, right? <laughs> um, uh, but I am a little bit tired of seeing Timascus on everything, um, especially when it doesn't like work with the overall aesthetic of the knife, or you know, when you are seeing, as Charlie was saying before, like the same purples, the same blues. You know, one person that I feel like is really tired of it, but then doing something about it is. Um, you know, Brian Nadeau at, of Sharp Eye Design, you know, he every now and then colors his Timascus a little bit differently, or he does this one um, inlay, or he, he, he does this one treatment to Timascus where he actually just leaves it in multi-etch, and he doesn't actually flame it at all, so then you get um, this kind of matte, um, it looks a little bit like carbo quartz, but without without the uh, chatoyance, it has almost this topographical matte kind of appearance to it, where you have uh, concentric sections of, of gray and white and black kind of all layered over one another. I think that looks really, really insane. I think it looks really good. And again, it's something that you don't see very often or it's a, it's a twist on something that you do see a ton of. So yeah, I, I guess I'm just a little tired of seeing, um, you know, Timascus a lot. Uh, I, I, I have kind of a love and hate relationship with micarta. Um, and that's something we haven't brought up yet, but, you know, micarta is something that I think can look really, really good if it's oh, yeah. if it's done well. Like I'm looking at the micarta scale on my Koenig Arius, uh, which you know had this kind of zigzag pattern built into it by Bill and his team, and I think that's exactly you know I think this is the best way that you know treatment of micarta that I've seen. Uh, but on the other end of it, 
you know, my card can look really cheap too. It can almost look like bad G10 at some points. And so, yeah, I, I guess I'm always interested to see how people do my carta and either really turned off or really turned on by them. Like I like JG Scouts. Uh, uh when, when Jason Guthrie, when he does them in my carta, I think they look mm-hmm. fan- fantastic. Like, like yours, Mike. Hey, you just yeah. recently posted a picture of that. That looks amazing, man. I did. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, it looks really, really good, I think. Well, I think, uh, when we're talking about micarta, we got to understand that there's a lot of variation. Talking about micarta is about t- similar to talking about carbon fiber. Mm. Kind of, there are kind of different ways to make it, and different uh, different people who make it. So I guess that's a good point. That's a very good point. Some are better than others, but also, you know, how you process it is certainly a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I had a, uh, you know, so I, I I've mentioned this before, but I, I do collect um, some traditional slip joints and traditional knives as well, and. You know, micarta is one of the standbys there. Always like red linen micarta, black linen micarta, sometimes OD green linen micarta. But, you know, lately they, these traditional makers have gotten more, um, I guess experimental doing things with like coffee bag micarta or, or, um, muslin micarta, you know, different kinds of textiles that they're mixing in with the epoxy and all that. But, you know, this, there's been this fascination with cross cut micarta in, in a lot of these. Uh, custom slip joints and, and all that. But I don't know about you guys, but uh, that I think looks really bad. And I think it looks really bad because um, I grew up eating ramen a lot. Um, just, mm. you know, all different varieties, all different kinds, you know, the dollar package ones all the way to some really high-end ramen, which if you don't realize exists, actually it does exist out there. Uh, but I, I grew up eating ramen all the time, and sometimes cross-cut micarta just looks like ramen to me. Um, and so you get this kind of weird, gross, oily feeling in your mouth when I look at it, you know. So um, that's one material that I'm, I, yeah, again, I either love it or I hate it, but that's one one treatment that I don't really enjoy. Yeah, what is this fruitcake micarta that you just sent to us here? It's a real old rag micarta, but uh, in the second half of the video, Frank, if you watch it for a second, he has the polish. First it's the uh-huh. raw and then the polish. Okay, okay. And this is just some like really old old rag uh, micarta, I guess, mm, that he was able to. Well, but I think it's... Jared Acer used, made stuff with uh, with rag micarta, too, before. Yeah, so it can look really good. It can look Wait, really so you're really triggered good. by micarta. That's your issue with it. <laughs> yes, I think triggered. so. All right. Yeah, cr- cross-cut okay. my card. Cross-cut. Okay. I don't know if I've seen that. I gotta go. I gotta go look at that. But you know, one fun fact about micarta is that because it's got that high textile content, it actually gains traction when it's wet. You know, and so like that's dance. why it's very desirable on hunting knives. Uh, it, it's comfortable to use all day, but then if your knife is covered in blood, it'll actually gain some traction um, rather than lose it the way that like a laminate wood would, you know. Seems kind of interesting. Seems very useful. <laughs> so, I, I mean, like, my, my Carta, there's a, I don't know, is, is are there tiers to it, too? There, there's, like, Westinghouse, right? Is that, like, the best my Carta? As best I mean, as my Carta. I, I think that that's, like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you know, they've released that recently, that they were, like, uh, guys, uh, you're working with, if you're working with Westinghouse, make sure you're using the bright stuff, because it's basically full of asbestos right because it was pre-regulation right, right. all like that stuff is antique yeah asbestos micarta and so it's like man <laughs> knives are dangerous think, in ways we didn't even know yeah 
I think one one area um, where I think people do use micarta is, you know, when when it comes to colors. Oh, before I go into this, I guess I wanted to make a quick tangent. But you know who makes Time Maskus really well is I think um, Gafco. Like I don't think people oh. think it like him. Oh yeah, That's props true. to him for perfecting yeah. that technique. Absolutely. So you know when it comes to like his Time Maskus, you know. Well, he doesn't make the tie mask because he anodizes it in that way. Right. And he also mostly does black tie masks, which is also just more interesting to look at than um, your regular Moku tie, whatever tie masks, right? Anyway, I, I don't think that that's kind of beside the point. Um, well, I'm glad we yeah. bring him up because we should give him credit. I mean, that's one of the few knife makers who, you know, even though they'll make an entire knife out of tie masks, I, I still love it. It just looks really good. It well, just looks, he, I think he, yeah. he really does. Um, he really does like the Mascus blades or something like that. So, so you usually have a planar blade to go with, you know, a full dress handle. So that that's kind of where there's mm-hmm. not as much clashing because the yeah. handle is kind of your focal point. It's mm-hmm. the look at me, and then everything else is kind of, you know, it can't be overdone. I think it's he wants, it, he wants them to still simple. be used. He definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess uh, uh, t- to continue my point, it's. I guess how I see it and where I see it used most often is, at least in knife making and the materials you typically see on scales, it's very hard to get the color white, right? Uh, Mm. So you have a few options. You could use ivory. You could use teeth. Uh, (laughs) You can just color it white, I guess. I've I've seen people just, like, rip dye their stuff, you know, at, like, lower ends, you know, to get Mm. that Stormtrooper look, right? Because it is is a cool look to to get white. So I think um, the most common uh, way for you to kind of get that white is just through using ivory micarta, right? So that's true. That's true. Um, white, white is a good color. I think it's pretty um, common in life, in all facets of life. Um, so you know, a lot of people kind of look for a color that we just don't really have in knives, right? Yeah. Um, you can have white G10, but Nobody wants that shit. Mm. Um, so you're kind of just left with teeth or micarta, right? And the problem uh, with micarta is that like actually that. it will absorb your your hand oils and then gradually discolor over time. Um, so, I mean, well, I guess some people will, would like that patina, as, as you're talking about, Mike. Uh, but, um, but, yeah, pure white is a little hard without going like a Cerakote route or something like that, um, getting some kind of coloration just applied on top of it. That would be kind of interesting to see what kind of materials could look good in that color. But yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, that. But that reminded me. Actually, there is a material that I absolutely hate, and yeah, I. I there's no two ways about it for me, and that is colored carbon fiber. I, I cannot stand any kind of colored carbon fiber, like like uh, the Alutex stuff, like on the new Hotties and everything. No, I don't that, think that's really that, carbon fiber. Yeah, that's that not. I'm just asking. Me. Yeah, that has a little bit more like. Um, I guess depth to it, but I, I, I guess I'm talking more about. And man, I don't, I don't mean what to. What about like the blue ZT carbon yes, fiber? Yes, that's what I'm red. talking about. That's yeah, what I'm talking about. Hatian, that's what I'm talking about. Trying to talk shit. What about? Uh, okay, so yeah, yeah. What the about... red, the brown, the the blue um, carbon fiber that ZT puts out. This is not a knock against ZT, but it is an. I I just can't stand it. I think it looks like okay, so because you know the parts that 
the, the, the thing that's interesting about carbon fiber is it does have that chatoyance. It has that shimmer to it, right? You know, because you have the different directions of the weaves going. Um, but then I noticed colored carbon fiber kind of fills in these parts so that the whole thing generally looks matte, no matter, you know, no matter what angle you're looking at it. And so it looks like, it looks like an accident to me. It looks like you have carbon fiber that looked really good maybe once upon a time, but then you dropped the knife while you were painting something, and then you tried your best to scrape off as much of it as you could, but you were too late, and a lot of it dried, <laughs> and, and that's what it looks like to me. So I know, I know that's yeah. a little bit harsh, but I, I can't no, I mean, that's, that. that's what it's all about. Some people are very – it's all about <laughs> what materials appeal to you. That's how I feel about – mammoth tooth it just i don't get it i totally i totally miss it but for some people it's the cat's pajamas so it's yeah. like yeah yeah, yeah yeah so you know all due respect to you i don't think that anybody's personal preferences and materials should no, you know no. be used to judge them at all but i think it reflects who you are <laughs> charlie i think uh it it definitely does and i think there can be people with good taste and people with very bad taste in how to do this and it does speak volumes if you have a you can have a bunch of matrails but if it's all they're all crappy then it's a different thing (laughs) no no no. so to me i think that it says more about you if you don't really know how to request the materials to be used you know if if you're using them in in ways that are you know imbalanced or ridiculous or over the top but not realize not going for that you know not intentionally doing so like unironically being crazy with the materials then yeah i i I think that that's what it is to me because because i would say that in most cases most materials can look good in context like mike was saying i think that was a great way of putting it mike that any almost any material can look good as long as it's in the right context as long as it's utilized to the best Mm -hmm. ability Except for colored carbon fiber. I am just going to judge you if you use that. I just think it looks terrible. (laughs) Judge not. Eugene, you're a pastor. Judge not. I know. I know. I know. I got to pray for these people. (laughs) Nice. Oh, jeez. I mean, so I I was just going to mention – there are definitely materials that, like, like you say, micarta has a lot of um, functional use, right? As it gets wet, you get more traction. That's that's cool. Um, but I think a lot of the times we end up with, you know, essentially knives that kind of you're going the opposite way, right? Yes. <laughs> I, I think when, when it comes to – I feel like Mike is really only, like, maybe two steps away from being one of the, those guys that wear latex gloves to flip their knives, right? Come on. Come on. Oh, my yeah. God, man. That, no, let's get into that for come a second. On. Take your gloves off, fuckers. Just handle your knives, man. It's so weird. It's like, man. No, that, that is really, really weird to, you know, flip something that is meant to be hard use, and you treat it so delicately. You know? yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it. Like, you don't want to smudge it, but, like, come on, guys. I'd rather see smudge in your hands than yeah. you look yeah. like the gimp. These guys wearing these black gloves. I, I always imagine that the gimp is holding these knives. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, these days, like, pretty much every knife company packs in a cleaning cloth or two, you know, along with, like, a patch and a sticker as well, you know. So it's like, just just use the cloth. You know, I, I feel like all of that filming is done in like a vacuum room where you need clearance <laughs> to get into. Okay? But it then it's, it it's just sad. happens to have like a background of, you know, nature and like a small 
four by foot four like you know area for you to take those photos <laughs> it's it's sad to me because it's like they're not you're not enjoying it to me all all of it is in the tactile like mm. not not all of it but a significant amount of it is in sure. the tactile enjoyment and then you know making it mine and and I don't know I feel like having a barrier is just a just weird to be it's just very strange. i think it's strange it's just uh like a weird you know i don't i i don't even really wear gloves when i cook so to, to kind of yeah wears gloves when they cook? oh for you mean oven gloves oven mitts no i'm not talking about oven mitts. some people but, cook when with and wear gloves yeah, oh, oh so you mean like these plastic gloves like so that their yeah, fingers sure. don't smell like garlic or yeah i see sure or or like right. if if you go to chipotle and they serve you and some of them wear gloves so, and some yeah. of them I'm not freaked out when they don't wear gloves. But. <laughs> Wait, which Chipotle are you going to that where they don't wear gloves? I think that's like a law. Really? Is that a law? I yeah. guess so. Yeah. yeah, communicable diseases and all that. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a okay. DOH regulation. I take that back. I was talking like 10 years ago, maybe. <laughs> Local Chipotle shut down for food cons- for food safety concerns. Thanks to those assholes on Knife Life. Yeah, outed yeah. by Charlie accidentally knives. He accidentally all, called them out. <laughs> all 19 people that are going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in case you don't know, our, our we just checked our previous episode has 19, 19 right. listens, but well, we, we haven't really promoted it yet. Episode one, we had a nice, a nice bunch. It's mm. true. It's very mm-hmm. true. And mm-hmm. we're, we're just, it's a promotional thing. We got to promote better. <laughs> You know, that, that, this is the best thing about this, right? Because I feel like what that says to me is that people just like talking knives and, and yeah. they just like bringing their own opinions to the table or listening to other people's opinions. And, and that's really, I think, the biggest thing about materials, right? Because there's just yes. so much variety out there and everybody has the things that they like and they don't like. I think right now we've spent a lot of time kind of just poking at the things we we dislike, you know, um, but also just praising the stuff that we do like, um, or or what we're looking for in in a in a knife with a, this or that material. But you know, that's that's a huge part of the hobby, just kind of discovering what else is out there and what else kind of tickles your fancy. Um, yeah, in in the end, I, I look at a lot. I was trying to think about the knives that I had in my collection that had like kind of higher end materials. I realized I don't have too many, um, other than the Tamascus on that servo. Um, and actually, you know, there's one knife that I have that might, it might be the fanciest one, but it's not even a custom. It's actually the, the Rayot Knives Jack um, that was yeah announced and released um, pretty recently. I mean, announced at Blade Show, finally hit the market now. Uh, but I bought a Proto at the show, and, you know, this thing is a titanium integral handle with – I got the, the flame-torched uh, um, titanium version. So, you know, you've got these, like, trails of – coloration going around it on, and on the pocket clip but then it has these huge slabs of that marble carbon fiber and the damas steel pivot colors um the only thing that i didn't get was the damas steel blade and so i went with the hand rub and so this is probably my fanciest knife but you know it's not even uh it's not a custom it's it's it, it didn't even break 500 bucks it was 450 dollars um and i think it was executed phenomenally well uh, so, you know, it, that's kind of an interesting uh, thing to think about, too. Like, these days, with the ubiquity of um, these materials and the demand for them increasing in more and more, it seems like you can get, like, crazy materials at just a fraction of the price that you might have had to in the past, you know? Um, 
And so it, it seems much more accessible uh, these days to get something of really kind of higher or fancier quality uh, than than you could do perhaps in the years past. I mean, it's it, it's not much of a surprise, right? When it comes to, you know, you have Timascus or whatever, um, when it comes to um, custom makers, all of these uh, materials are sold at a considerable markup, right? I think the average... Mm-hmm. Timascus yes. scale is anywhere from four five hundred dollars a side. That's how much it's going to add to your, you know, overall cost. Probably yeah, more. Four hundred dollars per. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, when it comes to it's it's not it's not about material cost, right? It was never about material cost. Um, they're expensive, but they're nowhere near that expensive, right? At cost, it's what like a hundred two hundred dollars per knife, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's it's definitely nice to see. I think production makers or production companies execute this right. Even you know, I'm sure like Benchmade has some Timascus knives out there. They've been using Damas steel since like 2008 mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so I think one interesting thing is um, kind of touching on our very first topic. Uh, I think it's not a bad idea to use these. Um, higher end production companies like Rayat to kind of see where you stand. Um, mm, you know, how, how yeah. your, your Timascus or Mokutai looks compared to, you know, like a production company. You're uh, speaking like as a maker, right? Like, as yeah, a, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, as a gauge to see where you stand, you know, even when it comes to fit and finish, like inlays and tolerances and stuff like that, it's, mm-hmm. it's a nice, it's a nice reality check, sanity check, whatever you want to call it. Um, because mm-hmm. yeah, I because think, if a production company like Rayat or We or, or ZT or something like that, you know, if one of these companies can do an inlay just as well as you can, but then times, uh, 2000 um you know per per cycle or per per whatever per production run then yeah, yeah maybe it is time to kind of kind of think what 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 difference can you bring to the table as a maker you know not to say that you're doing a bad job but it might be time to kind of like switch gears in a different direction or something yep i, I think so if when, when when it comes to you know if they're able to um uh, reproduce or automate what you're able to do by hand and maybe and, and be able to execute it just as well, then it could be time to, you know, hit hit the hit your thinking cap room and I don't know. Right. It's like when everybody is able to climb that mountain, it's time to look for a higher peak, right? It's, well no, when when, when when like a robot's able to do it. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay, yeah, yeah. When a robot can do it, that's yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, that's probably, doing a bit. probably not as hard as you think it is. Yeah, right? I'm sure Boston Dynamics is working on something. A robot that can climb mountains. I mean, it's it's just you know if if uh, if if your job as a cashier can be replaced by machines and it's not that hard of a job. Mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. offense to cashiers, but yeah, 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 integral part of life, but also not the hardest. Sure, not the hardest sure. job in the world. Having been a cashier at many different places, uh, I can attest to that. It is not the hardest job in the world. Yeah, just bring your body, not your brain. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. One yeah. thing I will, one thing I'll think as sort of a, it seems that we're winding down here. One thing that's is fun. Of, it, it, there's also just that it's fun. It's fun to be on a quest to look for new materials. I mean, yes. when you start to get into, you know, but really exotic stuff, you know, you're walking down a street that is becoming more and more narrow and mm-hmm. it, you know, it takes a lot more work to find something. So it's pretty exciting when you 
find some new carbon fiber maker that, you know, you're like, oh, wait, nobody's using his stuff yet. Maybe I can, you know, source some of that or it, it becomes fun. I mean, it's fun. It's fun looking for new things. I remember, Frank, right right after you went and bought a bunch of uh, some Zerkutai or whatever at Blade Show, I went over and, you know, went shopping with JD for a bunch of stuff. And it's fun. It was, you know, it's like a, some yeah. new material. You know, it's, it's, it is, it's just fun. If we're yeah. gonna if we're gonna be winding down, let me tell you guys a secret. If you go to a show, buy materials. Yes. Buy yes. all the materials yes. you can, and then ship them to your favorite custom maker over the rest of the year. And, have, <laughs> and, if, and if you can buy them with the maker, it's yes. It's if you wild. can hand them to the maker at the show or buy them with them, that's that's a win. That's a, that's a real high point of getting something custom made. Like buying, yeah, was, you know, right. buying with I, I actually, and giving it to them. It's fantastic. I mm. think Eugene, you were about to ask this. Maybe I, yeah. I actually met uh, the Holtz at the Nichols Damascus mm. table buying some Mokume, and that uh, that has borne fruit uh, that everyone will get to enjoy one of these days. Nice, so nice, we'll nice. See. Yeah, I, I, and I was going to bring up. Didn't you have to mail a like a piece of carbon plate or something like that to? To South Africa for one of your projects too, like yeah, uh, yeah. So, of, oh, I thought he was asking me, Frank. I'm sorry because I did. Oh, uh, both of you guys, same, <laughs> yeah, we, with the same maker actually. With the same maker, yeah, we both sent uh, stuff to Garrett Bull. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm sorry, I was talking about Guthrie. Oh, Guthrie, oh, I sent, I sent, <laughs> I got carbon plates sent to Gareth Bull, and I got, I gave carbon quartz to Guthrie. That's what's happening. But yeah, you, uh, Mike, you got yours sent down there. Yeah, for what my it, rover. Uh, I copied your stuff, Frank, really. I got some of that, uh, the carbon plate from your Shirogorov. I forgot Perfect, what it's called. Man. No, man, I, I want the world to use it. That's the most beautiful carbon fiber. And I got some uh, some tight herringbone from Vegas Forge just because I wanted to mix it up. Oh, wow, nice. I do like those tighter um, twist patterns um, uh, for Damasteel and Damascus. Um, you know, the big kind of raindrop stuff, I, I think I see a lot, but I, I really prefer... The ones with like the thin and stretched out lines and all that layering that looks really good. Um, but Frank, yeah. Frank, that was wise advice. If you go to a show, mm-hmm. buy materials. Buy, <laughs> Skip buy the knives. Materials. Buy materials. I'm but telling that, you, man. As like a existential thought that kind of is pretty irrelevant. Um, when it comes <laughs> to you know getting an order and placing an order with the maker, I think most of us being enthusiasts. Even even knife makers themselves, I think, um, you know, we're, we're not artists, right? What we design, what we have pictured in our head when it's executed, sometimes or most of the time does not look like what we had envisioned, right? And oftentimes it can be really, really bad. Yeah. Um, and the interesting about, or yeah, the very interesting thing about the knife hobby is what you create, you know, these aren't, uh, these aren't tools that necessarily just decompose right they're kind of out there forever they exchange hands Mm. so you know if you have like a disaster of a creation that's just kind of out there for like the world (laughs) to see and just kind of travel around and it's like it never really goes away right Mm. it's not like oh it died or something right it can't die it's just there forever right knife's Mm. kind of forever especially like the way we're making it now using materials that don't at all decompose. But anyway, the way I use it is certainly forever. So, so in other words, if you want to design your own custom knife, don't screw up or all of history will laugh yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Charlie, that's a really good point. And also I think when you, one of the, um, 
that also, uh, you know, when you're picking them with the maker, you can see their, you know, the wheel starts yeah, spinning yeah. right away. Oh, yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah. We can do this or this. And you know that their flavor is going to be in it. You know that they're going to treat it a certain way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're telling them everything. So I think that the maker can, you know, come out even more, you know, when you mm-hmm. pick the it's, material. It's always, but that's it's a super funny. good point. It's always funny to kind of see, you know, a knife you owned uh, previously out and about right just kind of shaking hands or whatever and i guess back then it wasn't so bad when you know it was just another production knife right oh that was mine but now when you're custom designing stuff you're like oh shoot that was mine yeah that was a mistake right (laughs) and it's just something to kind of you know (laughs) especially don't don't ever uh like engrave your knife because you're never going to keep your knife longer than that engraving's going to stay on there. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've never seen an engraving that they wouldn't, you know, I know they're going to regret it in the future. It's like engraving your iPod, right? Back in the day, you had, like, engraved an iPod that you gave to your girlfriend. Like, don't do that. You guys are going to break up by then. Just let her have the iPod. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, it's just food for thought. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a uh, that's a nice piece of existential reflection. You know, the mark that we leave on history and the world around us, something we can chew about uh, until our next episode. Um, but yeah, I imagine that we're gonna keep coming back to this topic of materials because, I mean, it's it's a core part of the hobby. It's something that we're always gonna get excited about or disappointed in. Um, things that really, you know, it, we invest a lot of time and energy thinking about, and I think. You know, the different knives that, that cross our paths are gonna, that's gonna be a big part of why we either like them, why we keep them, or why we decide to move them along and, and let them shake hands with other people, as, as Charlie's put it. Um, just, just one last thing I'll, I'll point out is that, you know, uh, speaking of all these high-end materials, Mastrop has got this, uh, collaboration going on with, um, I think Jeremy Oaks, Ox, O-C-H-S, mm-hmm. um, where they're doing a, production version, of course, again, produced, I think, by Wee Knives. Um, but it's going to feature all this Timascus op- all these Timascus options and all these crazy options, I think maybe even some Damascus or Damasteel, I'm not sure. Um, but it's going to come in at a super affordable price for all those materials, and I'm kind of curious to see how that will both be received and how it will be executed, because, uh, yeah, I feel like that will be crossing some kind of new territory, crossing into some kind of new territory where you have a widely available production knife that has a lot of these crazy materials but at maybe a fraction of the price so that they can actually get them into a lot of people's hands. I think that might be kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, I'm sure, again, we'll we'll come back to this in the future. We'll see, right? Uh, and yeah. so until then, um, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to shoot us an email at knifelifepodcast at gmail.com. Again, you can uh, reach out to all of us on Instagram. Um, some of us have YouTubes, and and uh, we'd love to hear from you, hear your thoughts. We really appreciate you guys listening and joining in on the conversation. Um, but, yeah, so, again, I'm Eugene. I'm Frank. This is Mike. And this is Charlie. I have uh, one, one thing to add, though. I think okay. this is <laughs> our... Um, one more addendum, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of our first uh, our first episode that we had a central topic I think throughout that we kind of kept going back to. So I would appreciate some feedback with with regards to this type of structure Mm. versus a more, you know, conversational, uh, free flowing, so to speak with plenty of tangents, uh, Mm. type of structure, you know, 
um, That's what people point. prefer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. So, yeah, make sure that you let us know. Again, our email is knifelifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach all of us on Instagram. Yeah, what did you think of this episode? What do you think of our, our format? Please give us any feedback, any topics you'd like to hear about, any questions that you guys have that you'd like to hear us discuss. So until the next episode, have a knife life, guys.